0: Each week, in places all over the world, countless sermons are preached to people like you and me. Exactly how many we cannot know, but I am sure, I am sure. That would we to that we would be astounded by their number were we to count them were we to have the ability to count the sheer number of sermons that are preached week after week in places all over the world we would be astounded by the sheer number the bible is preached week after week in churches like ours and preached Outside of church walls as well, God's word goes forth week by week and throughout the week to believers and unbelievers alike. I thought about that this week, and and then I, I thought that those who hear these sermons are loosely grouped. Maybe we can loosely group them into three categories, There are those who believe in Jesus Christ. They are saved from their sins to new life with God and they know it and they rejoice. There are those who outright refuse to believe in Christ. They remain dead in their sins and they don't care. Or so it seems. Then there are those who claim to believe in Christ, but who don't. Not really. Though they profess faith in the Lord, they really have no intent or interest in following him. Therefore, being gravely mistaken, perhaps even deluded, delusional, they remain under the dominion of sin and death, they remain under the dominion of sin and death, even while laying claim to the Christian life. And today's passage applies to all three groups. It speaks to those people who believe in Christ, and it encourages Continued faith. It speaks to those who refuse to believe in Christ and it provides yet another opportunity for faith. And perhaps most pointedly, it speaks to those who think they believe in Christ but don't. And it therefore clarifies the need for true faith. Remember, Jesus has said that he is the light of the world who promises the light of life to all who follow him. So apart from faith in him, we exist under the dark dominion of sin and death. And yet no sooner does Jesus make this claim that some in the crowd began refuting it. They are of the second category, I think. They are those who refuse to believe and seemingly don't care. Even when Jesus warned that they would die in their sins and suffer eternal consequence, still they rejected the truth, but many believed. I mean, verse 30 ends with many believing in Christ, and in verse 31, Jesus begins speaking to those who believed. This is particularly relevant to us then. They were believers, apparently, and so are we, I presume. Or at least most of us. Or many of us. So what Jesus says to them is, applica- uh, is particularly applicable to us. He's teaching about true faith, the kind of faith that brings true freedom. Indeed, those who, are, who truly believe in Christ, those who truly believe in Christ are are truly freed to follow Christ. And I I want you to hear that. True freedom and true faith are joined at the hip. And both are enjoyed as one follows Jesus Christ. But there must be a following of Jesus Christ. And So how does Jesus here define true faith and, and what does he teach about true freedom? Those are the questions that I'm, I was thinking about this week, the questions that, are, that may be before us this morning. I want to consider them both. I want to consider faith and the fruit of faith described here as freedom in Christ. Faith is a common word, commonly used, and yet I think commonly misunderstood. Even in the church, even in the church, commonly misunderstood. Faith is not a blind leap. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not merely praying a prayer or answering an altar call or rededicating one's life at a church youth camp. These may be wonderful ways. These may be wonderful ways to exercise faith, but faith itself is much more, and here, Jesus calls for greater faith. He calls for true faith, for faith that follows Christ. There are two basic kinds of belief. There is the kind of belief that agrees to certain facts, but remains unchanged by them. And there is the kind of belief that acts upon what it knows to be true. And this is important because the difference between these two kinds of belief is night and day. It's the difference between merely believing Jesus and believing in or on Jesus. Jesus. It may appear to be a subtle or even inconsequential difference, even difficult to notice in our English translations of the Bible, but it is a vital difference and very clear in the original Greek, the original language. In the Greek, verse 30. It's very good. This is very good that we see this. In the Greek, verse 30 speaks of those who believed in Jesus, while verse 31 addresses those who simply believed Jesus. It's correctly translated, by the way, in the NIV and in the NASB, and listen, in the current 2011 edition of the ESV. But the older editions, for those who have ESVs, the older edition... Uh, It's a correction they made. So as translators examined the Greek more closely here, they made note of this important distinction in the language. In other words, these two verses distinguish between two kinds of belief. Those in verse 30 believed in Christ, suggesting that they entrusted their lives to to his lordship, while those in verse 31 merely believed Christ. Suggesting that they simply believed certain things about Christ, or certain things that Jesus taught. Does that make sense? Same is true today. People may believe. Jesus, in that they acknowledge that he lived, was a good man, taught many great things. They may admire him or even accept him from a distance, though they believe in this sense their belief has little to no effect on their lives. But true faith is much more true faith changes the way one lives. True faith not only acknowledges Christ, it not only admires or accepts Christ. True faith follows Christ in that he becomes your leader. He becomes your Lord. Or as verse 31 makes clear, true faith abides in Christ. True faith abides in His Word. Look at it. Jesus puts forth a conditional promise here. It is is an if-then statement. He says, If you do this, then you will experience this. If you abide in My Word, then, then you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth And the truth will set you free. So to abide in Christ's word is to abide in God's word. We must learn God's word and we must obey God's word. We must understand that there is a direct correlation. Please hear this. A direct correlation between our intake of the word of God and our relationship with Christ. We must read and study and be familiar with the Bible if we're to become familiar with Jesus. We must be obedient to what the Bible teaches for we can we can read and study God's word yet still not abide in it. We can know it but still not obey it. Maybe that's why some Christians aren't experiencing greater freedom in Christ today. Because although they may be Bible learners, they are not necessarily Bible livers. As we learn and live Christ's word, we abide in it. We listen to him, we learn from him, we trust him and we keep trusting him, we remain with him, we stay with him, we continue on with him. To abide in Christ's word is to place faith in Him and to follow Him always. Essentially, to abide in Christ's word is to abide in Christ Himself. And we need to see that Jesus spoke these words to those who already believed. That should grab our attention. He was calling them, in other words, to something more. He was calling them to the true discipleship, to an abiding relationship with Himself. He was calling them not only, not only to believe Him, but to believe in Him. And so I want to ask you something. Which kind of faith best, best describes you this morning? Do you merely believe Christ, or do you believe in Christ? Is Jesus merely someone you acknowledge from a distance? Maybe you even admire from a distance? Or is he the Lord of your life? Can you say with certainty today that that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Can you say with certainty today that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Or is Jesus calling you to more? Is he calling you to more? Maybe the application for you today is to stop merely going through the motions. Stop playing games. Stop settling for some form of superficial faith. Maybe this serves... As a wake up call to us, to all of us, maybe it'll awaken in us true faith faith that willingly and lovingly and abidingly follows Christ wherever He leads. And therefore, May God's word to us this morning bring the enjoyment of true freedom in Christ. Listen again to what Jesus says. If you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, these Jews were not true disciples, and therefore they were not truly free. though they were very religious and very pious and probably very respectable people, they were not free. Because they kept Jesus at arm's length, they were not at all free. In fact, they were spiritually enslaved, and this offended them. And they took exception. They answered the Lord. Verse 33, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone so how is it that you say you will become free so Jesus is addressing the spiritual their spiritual condition but they appear more concerned about the physical They talk about Abraham and their supposed freedom as descendants of Abraham, but, but kind of in a funny, ironic way, they were wrong on both counts. Not only were they in bondage spiritually, which is of greater concern, of course, much greater concern, but the Jewish people historically, right, even as Abraham's descendants, were often in physical bondage too. In bondage to Egypt, in bondage to Assyria, in bondage to Babylonia, in bondage to Persia, in bondage to the Greeks, and now to the Romans. So they just completely missed the point. At best, they were ignorant of the truth. It just went right over their head. Or more likely, because they were offended by the truth... They just refused to accept it. They dug in their heels. Though enslaved, they would not admit it. So Jesus elaborates. He says in verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, to you. Everyone who practices sin, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He's not talking about physical bondage, but spiritual enslavement. He's talking about being slaves to sin. And I want you to notice how he widens the scope In verses 31 and 32, Jesus speaks to them directly, but here in verse 34, he's speaking about everyone, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, this wasn't their problem only. Oh, it was their problem, yes, but sin didn't enslave just them only. Sin enslaves us all. Now, enslavement is a strong word, isn't it? We don't like that word. But we need to hear it. We must grasp the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. We we mustn't minimize our bondage or we will never be freed. We, we mustn't downplay our sin or sin's grip on us or sin's power and penalty over us. This week, Michael Pagan sent me a link to a survey conducted by Ligonier Ministries or I'm sorry, it was commissioned by Ligonier Ministries. It was conducted by Lifeway Research. 3,000 Americans were surveyed earlier this year, late February, and the questions covered seven main areas of doctrine. One such area concerned beliefs about sin, and the results themselves were quite concerning. For example, according to this survey... People believe that we are mostly good and that the good in us outweighs the bad. 67% or two of every three people agree that yeah, everyone sins a little, but most people are by nature very good. 40%, four in 10 people, agree that God loves us because we are good. Only 18% agree that even the smallest sin deserves wrath, punishment. And so, bottom line, we are far more likely as a people, we are far, this is no surprise, right? We are far more likely to describe ourselves as good, not sinful. Far more likely to conclude that we therefore deserve God's favor rather than his just and holy wrath. So I thought I'd take a survey of our own. (laughs) Play along with me here. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever committed a sin? No, come on, leave them up there. Leave them up there. Either you have failed to do what you knew what was right, or you intentionally did what was wrong. Okay? So look around. Andre, get it up there. 100%, 100%, right? All right, you can your hands down. 100%. We're all guilty. Now, why is that? Why is it that we sin, every single one of us without exception? It's because sin is in our nature. It's part of who we are. The Bible says we were born in sin, meaning that our very nature is, is fatally diseased by it. Our parents were sinners, and their parents before them, and theirs before them, and so on, tracing back to the very beginning of the human race. We are sin-ravaged, and the Scripture teaches that whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So here... Our relation to sin is pictured as slave to master. Sin is our master. It has dominion over us. It is a cruel master that destroys us moment by moment. We are shackled, chained by its power. We cannot escape its grip. We are under its penalty of death. The Bible says that we all fall short of God's glory which, by the way, is the standard by which we are measured. We were created by God, for God, for His glory, but in sin we fail to glorify God as we should, and therefore our sins separate us from God, and they actually merit. Believe it or not, it's true. Our sins, your sins, and mine actually merit. They deserve merit. The just wrath of God. And so this brings death, both physical and spiritual. On our own, we are slaves to sin. Unable to break free from its power and penalty. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive. Together with Christ by grace you have been saved Ephesians 2 and he raised us up with Christ and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. In our sin, we are condemned, we are in prison, we are in death row spiritually, so we need grace, right? We need the help of another, someone strong enough, someone capable to break down those prison walls and set the captives free. And that someone is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who went to the cross to bear your sins and free you from their deadly grip. He went to the grave to the prison itself. And he broke the chains that keep you in bondage. And he says, even this morning, he says to all who are in bondage that if you will believe in him and if you will entrust yourself to him, if you will follow him, you will be free. Jesus says, verse 35, the slave, the slave... The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. In other words, a slave does not share the privileges of the son. A slave is not a member of the family as the son is. The son has permanent status within the family. He is the son. Jesus is the son. He is the son of God and he is distinguishing between those who are slaves to sin and those who have been freed from it by the son. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. This morning, this morning you are either bound in in sin or you are free in Christ. You're either bound in sin or you're free in Christ. Now, you all have already raised your hand to acknowledge your sin. That's good. Acknowledgement is usually the first step. From its penalty of death. And in ways I cannot even imagine, when Christ returns, we'll be freed even from its presence. Is that you? The freedom that Jesus brings is as dramatically different as that of a slave and a son. It's the difference between being outside the family of God and being welcomed into the family as a child of God. And such faith begins by admitting your need of the Savior. by receiving Christ as Lord. Now others of us may find that even though we have been freed to follow Christ, we still feel in bondage to sin. is that? Could it be because we still put ourselves under its enslaving power? We walk back into the prison cell. We, we put the shackles back on our feet and our hands. We return to our old ways and we let down our guard. Maybe, maybe it's the movies we watch or the music we listen to or the websites we frequent. I don't know for sure. God knows. Maybe it's the company we keep. Or don't keep? Whatever it is, please hear this. You will not enjoy freedom in Christ when you freely place yourself under sin's sway. You will not enjoy freedom in Christ when you freely place yourself back under sin's So if that's you this morning, if you've been freed from sin but aren't experiencing that freedom, will you repent and return to Jesus? You know, I was thinking this week about that very well-known passage in Revelation 3 when Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea and he says... Those whom I love, be zealous and repent. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will eat with him and he with me. Repent. Repent. He's speaking to the church in that passage. He's speaking to those who believe in that passage. And he's calling for faith and repentance. And he's promising renewed relationships. So be encouraged to know that that sin need not be your master today. Sin need not be your master today. Repent. Repent. For Jesus Christ is Lord. I'll close with one final illustration, then we're, we're done. A few years ago, my dad and I spent some time in Boston together. It was a father-son getaway. We shared many great memories. And one of the things we did, it's what many people do when visiting Boston, is we walked the Freedom Trail. If you guys walked the Freedom Trail, anybody know what I'm talking about? The Freedom Trail is a two-and-a-half-mile course that is clearly marked by a red line on the sidewalk, that, which leads to 16 historically significant sites that help tell the story of the American Revolution. There's Boston Common, Park Street Church, King's Chapel. You see the site of the Boston Massacre. There's... Finial Hall and Paul Revere's house and the old north church and many many more important stops along the way as long as you follow the well-marked trail you will see and experience them all Well can I say in a similar way to follow Christ is to experience true freedom. It's not like the American Revolution because freedom in Christ is of much greater significance. And unlike the American Revolution, which required men and women to fight to free themselves, freedom in Christ comes because Christ fought on our behalf. But I think the illustration works, or at least I hope so, because Christ has blazed a freedom trail of his own, one that leads from sin and death to life with God forever. And as long as you follow him, you will be free indeed. Free from your sins. Free to live a holy life. Free to enjoy life with God now and forever. Free to be a child of God. This is true freedom. This is what it means to be free indeed. And it comes by way of true faith. So dear people, believe in Christ today. And be freed to follow Him. Father, you've been very good to us this morning. You've opened your word before us, and you have just so graciously taught us and reminded us of some very, very important truths. You've been so patient with us, Lord. And the scripture says that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. May we repent today. Father, forgive us for the many, many times we've pursued our own glory, not yours. many, many occasions when we've gone our own way, not yours. We turn now as an act of faith to again follow Christ our Lord. Help us, we pray in his name, amen.